We Called Him Ali for Short by Henry Lawson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. I don't believe in ghosts. I never did have any sympathy with them, being inclined to regard them as a nuisance and a bore. A ghost generally comes fooling around when you want to go to sleep, and his conversation, if he speaks at all, invariably turns on murders and suicides and other unpleasant things in which you are not interested, and which only disturb your rest. It is no use locking the door against a ghost, for it is well known he can come in through the keyhole, and there are cases on record where a ghost has been known to penetrate a solid wall. You cannot kick a ghost out, he is impervious to abuse, and if you throw a boot at him, likely as not it will go right through a new looking glass worth eighteen shillings. I remember about five years ago I was greatly annoyed by a ghost while doing a job of fencing in the bush between here and Perth. I was camping in an old house which had been used as a barrack for the convicts or their keepers, I'm not sure which, in the lively old days of the broad arrow. He was a common looking ghost of a skeleton kind and was arrayed in what appeared to be the tattered remnants of an old time convict uniform. He still wore a pair of shadowy manacles but being very elastic and unsubstantial and stretching the full length of his stride, he did not seem to notice them at all. He had a kind of artful dodger expression about his bare jaw bones, and in place of the ordinary halo of the ring variety, he wore a shining representation of a broad arrow which shed a radiance over his skull. He used to come round and wake me about midnight with a confounded rigmarole about a convict who was buried alive in his irons and whose representative my unwelcome visitor claimed to be. I tried all I knew to discourage him. I told him I wasn't interested and wanted to go to sleep. But his perseverance wore me out at last, and I tried another tack. I listened to his confounded yarn from beginning to end, and sympathised with him, and told him that he, or the individual he represented, had been treated confoundedly badly, and I promised to make a poem about it. But even then he wasn't satisfied. Nothing would suit him but he must spin his old yarn, and be sympathised with about seven times a week, always choosing the most unbusinesslike hours between one and three in the morning for his disclosures. At last I could stand it no longer. I was getting thin and exhausted from want of sleep, so I determined on a course of action. I had a dog at home, a big black dog with unpleasant eyes, and a chewing up apparatus that an alligator might have envied. He had a most enterprising appetite, and wasn't afraid of anything on the surface of this earth, or under it, as far as he could burrow. He would gnaw a log to pieces rather than let the possum it contained escape him. He was not the sort of dog to stand any nonsense, even from a ghost. His full name was Alligator Desolation. We called him Ali for short. And as I considered that if any person on earth could lay the ghost that annoyed me, that person was Alligator Desolation. I decided to bring him along. The next time I journeyed home for rations, I brought Alligator Desolation back with me. On the trip back he killed five kangaroos, sixteen possums, four native rats, two native bears, three sheep, a cow and a calf, and another dog that happened by. And before he had been two hours at the hut, he had collected enough carcasses of indigenous animals to stink a troop out in a week, or to feed all the dogs in Constantinople. I had tea and the smoke while Ali was resting, and about eleven o'clock I lay down in my bunk, 
dressed as I was, and waited. At about one I heard the usual unearthly noises which accompanied the arrival of my friend the ghost, and Ali went out to investigate. While the dog was gone, the ghost strolled in through the door of the end room, apparently unconscious of his danger. He glided straight up to the side of my bunk, took his accustomed seat on the gin case, and commenced in a doleful voice to pitch his confounded old yarn again. But he hadn't uttered half a dozen ghostly words when alligator desolation came in through the side door. The ghost caught sight of Ali before the latter saw him, and made for the window. Ali wasn't far behind. He made a grab at the ghost's nether garments, but they gave way easily, being of a ghostly material. Then Ali leapt out through the window and chased the ghost three times round the house, and then the latter came in through an opening in the wall where a slab had fallen out. Being of an easily compressible constitution, he came through, of course, with a faculty peculiar to his kind, but the crack was narrow and the dog stuck fast. His ghost ship made the best of his opportunity, and approaching my bed, hurriedly endeavoured to continue his story, as though his ghostly existence depended on it. But his utterances were drowned by the language of Alligator, whose canine oaths were simply terrific. At last, collecting all his energy for one mighty effort, Alligator came through, bringing down the slabs on each side of him. He made for the ghost at once, and the ghost made for the window. This time Alligator made a grab for the spectre's ankle, and his teeth came together with a crash that threatened their destruction. Ali must have been greatly astonished and disgusted, because he so seldom missed anything he reached for. But he wasn't the kind of dog to give up. He leapt through the window, and after a race round the hut, lasting some minutes, the ghost gave it up and made for the scrub. Seeing the retreat through a crack in the slabs, I immediately rose, went outside and mounted my horse, which I had kept ready saddled in case of emergency. I followed the chase for about five miles, and at last reached a mound under some trees which looked like an old grave. Down through this mound the ghost dived. Alligator desolation immediately commenced to dig, and made two feet in no time. It appeared that a wombat had selected the grave as a suitable site for the opening of his burrow, and after having sunk about three feet was resting from his labours. There was a short and angry interview between Alligator and the wombat, during which the latter expired, and then Ali continued his work of excavation. After sinking two feet deeper, he dragged out what appeared to be the leg bone of a human being, attached to which was a pair of heavy leg irons, such as were used in the old convict days. Ali went down the hole again, but presently he paused in his digging operations, and I heard a noise like a row in the infernal regions. Then a thin, shadowy form issued from the grave and made off through the scrub with the dog in pursuit. My horse was knocked up, so I left the chase to Alligator and returned home to await developments. Ali came back about three days later, with his hair badly singed and smelling strongly of brimstone. I have no doubt that he chased the ghost to the infernal regions, and perhaps had an interview with Cerberus at the gate or the boss himself. But the dog's tail was well up, and the satisfied grin oozed from the roots of every fang. And by the same tokens, I concluded that the other party, whoever he was, had got fatefully left. I haven't seen the ghost since. End of We Called Him Ali for Short by Henry Lawson Read by Daniel Gosson.